Welcome to the Benakiba Connects podcast, a podcast exploring the challenges and transformational technology in the insurance industry. Join us as we talk about industry issues and the technology, tactics, and tools that will help your business become a beneficiary-first company. We are on a mission to help our clients become customer-centric in their approach to claims management with powerful processes, customer experiences, and technology. Now, here's your host, Ashley Oxholm. Good morning and welcome to the Benakiva Connects podcast. I am your host, Ashley Oxholm, and I have the pleasure of speaking with Ramsey Smith, founder of Alex.FYI. How are you doing today, Ramsey? I am doing great and very happy to be here. Thank you so much. So why don't we just start out by you telling our listeners a little bit about who you are and a little bit about what Alex.FYI is? Sure. So after many decades as an investment banker, I decided to try my hand in insurance distribution. And Alex.FYI today is now focused on in-plan annuities. We spent some time looking at the possibilities of direct-to-consumer distribution and some other channels, we ultimately determined that the best possible way to make annuities available to the broadest possible audience is via 401k plans. So that's in some sense my day job. I also do board work, both on the public and private base or nonprofit basis, I should say. So I'm on the board of Genworth Financial, the life insurance company, Fortune 500 life insurance company, and I do nonprofit board work as well. And then I'm also a podcaster. So I'm co-host of That Annuity Show, along with my buddy Paul Tyler and several other good friends of ours. And it's rare that I get to be on this side of the microphone. So thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. And for our listeners, where is a place they can go to listen to That Annuity Show? Just ThatAnnuityShow.com. All right. And I probably don't have the account exactly right, but we're if we're not at 190 episodes, we're pretty close. And we've been lucky to have fantastic guests. I always say that it's the guests, I guess, with the exception of this time, maybe. No, no, no. no. <laughs> it's the guests that make the podcast. And we've been just really fortunate in having fantastic guests. Absolutely. I agree mm -hmm. with that 100%. Ben mm -hmm. is far behind you as far as numbers go. We just started here in January of 2023 recording our podcast and building out. So we're no, we're just hitting near, I think this is episode 18. And so we're just starting out there. But the guests that we've had is it, truly been an honor to just speak with people whose knowledge of the industry is so vast and deep. And I think you're right. It's definitely the guests that make the podcast what it is. So outside of being on boards and working within the insurance industry, what do you do with your life? What do you do with your free time? I love to play tennis. So I didn't start playing tennis until I was in my sort of mid forties. And I, so I've been playing, I don't know. So what am I 55 now? So I've been playing 11 years and it is my absolute favorite pastime. And so I now live in Atlanta after having been in New York for many decades. And Atlanta is a tennis playing town. So it's worked out really well. That's awesome. Very cool. So we asked this next question to all of our guests because we have a theory that no one intentionally ends up in insurance. But once people get into the insurance industry, whether that's fintech or whatever that is, sure. they never leave. So tell us, you know, what brought you, what made you make that transition into the insurance area? 
You know, it's an interesting question. And the history for me, oddly, goes way back further than I ever, you know, one would ever have expected. In some sense, it goes back to when I was in college. So when I was in college, I was a French major, but I also studied a lot of economics. And so my senior thesis, I wrote my senior thesis on the French social security system and why it needed to go from an unfunded basis, which is what social security, the way social security is here in the US, it's essentially unfunded. It's what's called a pay-as-you-go system. And France was the same. And my suggestion was that they go from an unfunded basis to a funded basis. And it's been a long time since I looked at my thesis, but I may well have talked about things like raising the retirement age. And as everybody, as many of you on this podcast may know, there's been a lot of protest activity in France right now (laughs) based on precisely that issue. Yes. Just just in the last few weeks, it's a sensitive issue. Not long after that, I got my first job on Wall Street. So I had a dream of working on the street and I was working at what was called the first Boston Corporation at that time. It became Credit Suisse, which is now you know, ultimately part of UBS given recent events. And I worked in the insurance group there. Okay. And, and then there were a couple other sort of like brushes with the insurance industry, but halfway through my career, so call it, you know, 2005, 2006, halfway through my Goldman Sachs career, where I spent 21 years, I started covering life insurance companies. And it was really primarily focused on helping them manage balance sheet risk. So these, all the companies sold variable annuities and fixed index annuities, they took on a lot of capital markets risk in order to do that. And our job was to provide risk management solutions for them, like speaking of tied to the C-suites, the risk management teams. Yeah. So that's what got me sort of more full-time in the insurance industry. And when I left Goldman, I wanted to sort of focus more on what I saw was an opportunity of distribution, which I spoke about sort of earlier on. So that is my journey. And so as you can see, going all the way back to the late 80s, when I wrote my senior thesis, right, and when I worked at a summer job, right, a summer job where I was working in an insurance group at a bank, I keep on getting drawn back to this industry one way or the other. But I think part of the reason that there's that draw is that I believe that the life insurance and retirement industry fulfills like just an extremely important function in any society, in any country, but certainly here in the US. And as much as I admire the social security system, I think it's a very valuable feature of being an American citizen and defined benefit plans were for many, many years. I think that the sort of the, the last place that you can get, you can get guaranteed income sort of consistently and at scale you know, has been and will be likely the life insurance industry. And there is an important need. So put all those two together, a long history that keeps on sort of pulling me back in. And what I think is like, the important industry that I enjoy being a part of. Absolutely. You know, my experience right out of college, the first job that I took was processing claims for an insurance carrier. That's actually a client of Ben Akiva's now. And then I left and I was in the software world and I found my way back, obviously, to being on the insure tech side of things. So I think that's a really common story. So with your wealth of experience, what do you see are some major pain points that the insurance industry is facing right now? So I think there are a few things. One is, I think that it's a very difficult industry. I think that the services that we provide are of great value. And we, you know, notwithstanding the fact that they're of great value, we have to go through great lengths to express to our clients how valuable they are. 
and how much effort goes into providing those services. So there's a, you know, one of the things I would love for the folks that benefit from the products that we provide to have, you know, a more fulsome understanding of just, you know, how much effort it takes to actually provide those service, to provide protection, if you will. It's non-trivial and it's a really important service. And, you know, the people that are in this industry are very smart and they work very hard and have to make really, you know, really meaningful decisions about, you know, what their risk looks like, not just today, but for many decades to come, right? And, you know, and essentially stand behind it. So I think that's one element. Now, Customer education can help get us there. You know, that may take, that will continue to probably take effort over time. Of course. I think the opportunity though, to maybe close that gap, and I think this is something that we can do as an industry, is to really embrace the opportunity to improve customer experience. I think that we're an industry that is, we're a combination of a balance sheet. So sort of the part of what we do that bears risk, right? Which is our balance sheet. And then we have all these services that we undertake that essentially support that balance sheet. So it's things like claims, which is what Ben Akiva focuses on, right? So it's claims experience, it's policy servicing and administration. There's all sorts of things that we do to ultimately support support the basic function, which, which is managing risk. I actually think that those services that we bundle together, which we generally you know, treat as expense items, yes. right, are actually services that are of real value that may be even valuable externally to just servicing, you know, the servicing the in-house needs, right? And so my view is that every insurance company should take a look at what are all the things that we do and let's figure out what kinds of things should we outsource, what kinds of things should we insource, what kinds of things should we actually make available to third parties because we're particularly skilled at this particular element of service. I think that's an interesting and constructive way to look at for any insurance company to think about how to manage their business going forward. And in particular, I would say focusing on our experience is super important. And one of the things that I think it's interesting you focus on claims is that claims are the main opportunity that any insurance company or any insurance company has to demonstrate their value to their clients. And And so one of the very interesting dynamics of the insurance industry is that like your ability to demonstrate that value varies dramatically according to what type of insurance company you are. Mm -hmm. So if you're in health insurance or auto insurance, the distance, you know, the time distance between when the person bought the policy and started paying premium and when there's some outcome at which point where they're actually, you know, using, right, they're using the benefits tends to be shorter. In the life insurance industry, the claim cycle is much, much, much longer. So what that means is, you know, your client has sold a product, they pay premiums, you know, over some meaningful period of time, or they, maybe it's a single premium product where they pay it once, but you know, it's, there's still, it's probably a long wait before they realize the benefit. You don't have as many ways to actually naturally in your business process to demonstrate like how valuable the services that you're providing, right? Absolutely. You have that one opportunity to- One opportunity. Connect with your members. And we have a carrier that we were working with. Their oldest policy is 84 years old. That person has been with them for 84 years. Yeah. You know, and 
at that moment when they cash in on that, or their chances are obviously their relatives or whoever is getting that, you know, cashes in on it. That's their only interaction, you know, with the carrier. And I think it speaks volumes that the asset retention from a claims payout in the life insurance industry averages 3%. 3%. Wow. Okay. I mean that I mean you think about a carrier that pays out 900 million dollars in claims a year. It's just a number. 3% yeah. is that 27 million in asset retentions from that. I mean and that speaks to the claims process and the value that their members are experiencing in one of the worst times of their life. So I agree with you that customer experience really should be a top priority for carriers. Yeah. And so the question then becomes one of like well one it places an enormous burden on that one event, the claim, to be an opportunity to get sort of, again, the next generation of potential clients to be, to appreciate the value of what you have to offer and potentially do business with you. But the other question is, well, what can you do in the interim? What are the services you might be able to provide to your customers during, you know, in between claims, right? That might be of value so you can actually have engagement and create a relationship, more active relationship with your client than just being sort of a you know, a, a policy confirmation that comes once a year. Absolutely. So those are the things that I think about, you know, broadly speaking. And so what would you say should be the top focus moving forward for our insurance carriers? Obviously, you know, from a Benakiva aspect, we're like, hey, look, three things never stop. Claims, servicing, and new business. You're going to want, you know, focus on the asset retention and focus on the customer experience through claims, the entire claims from, you know, intake to payout and everything in between. But from your experience and from where you sit, what do you think carriers should really focus on moving forward in the future? So I'm going to take the liberty of talking my own book a little bit here, if you don't mind. (laughs) So my, you know, my firm, my partner and I are, you know, of the view that we're on the precipice of one of the biggest asset gathering opportunities for the life insurance industry that we've seen in a long time and we'll see for some time to come. And that's the in-plan annuity market. Mm-hmm. If you think about the 401k market, a number of interesting characteristics. One, it's a $7 trillion market. That number obviously moves around with market performance, but let's say it's, you know, roughly $7 trillion in assets in the 401k market, very little penetration of for annuities in that market to date. And you look at it as a market that, well, if you went back far enough, actually insurance companies played a pretty pivotal role. So in days before mutual funds, you know, particularly target date funds were made available, broadly available, stable value accounts, for example, were something that would have been a common default or commonly present in many 401k plans. But with the advent of target date funds, and their ability to be made available in 401k plans. You know, here we are in 2023, and the majority of new money that goes into 401ks is invested in target date funds, mm-hmm. very frequently as, as a default. And the insurance industry doesn't really have a, a really a major role in the space. But what's changed? Well, we had Secure 1.0 pass in 2019. And we had Secure 2.0 passed more recently, but Secure 1.0 for this particular market is most germane. Secure 1.0 passed, it gave safe harbor to plan sponsors around selection of carriers, obviously provided that they conduct appropriate diligence. It has changed the information that has to be required to you legally on your 401k statement, which sort of 
surfaces this idea that your this lump sum that you have that you're saving can be converted into an income stream and what that income stream might look like. So, and then a host of other things. But for me, those are kind of the two most critical things. So you have a legislative backdrop. You've got social security still exists, but it has its limits, right? You know, what, right? And then defined benefit pension plans, as we all know, have largely sort of been going the way of the dinosaur. Mm -hmm. So there's this need for guaranteed income. And the question is, well, who might want guaranteed income? Well, as it turns out, you know, a lot of the survey data that's been sponsored by the likes of the Alliance for Lifetime Income and others have, have validated the fact that when you talk to plan participants, they are interested in having guaranteed income, at least as part of the menu oh, available to them. And increasingly, as we do our diligence as a company and try to better understand, well, all right, what about the other players? Who else might be interested in this? Well, plan sponsors are potentially interested. So if I run a 401k plan for a large company, well, I have all these plan participants. And historically, when they turn 65, I expect them to take a lump sum or to you know roll over into an IRA and leave the plan. But what are the benefits of me keeping them in plan? Well, among other things, I'm able to actually amortize my plan costs over a larger and stickier asset base than if I expect that all my biggest clients effectively roll out of my plan at 65. So for plan sponsors, there's some cost efficiencies potentially there and some negotiating efficiencies with vendors. But beyond that, there's the ability to use it as a tool to attract and retain talent as well. So that's mm -hmm. the plan sponsor perspective. So participants, we've got an argument for them. Plan sponsors, we have an argument for them. Well, who else? Well, asset managers and life insurance companies. So asset managers that are that serve 401k plans, guess what? They're also losing those assets. If you're an asset manager in some big company's plan and all the big clients roll out, unless you happen to be one of the hand, handful of providers that are usually sitting there hanging around the hoop, ready for the rollover. And you guys, you know who they are. They're the oh, biggest yeah. sort of two or three shops, right? We'll yeah. be there. And what ends up happening? So there's a rollover from a less expensive for the participant, less expensive in-plan solution, wherever it happened to be, into an IRA that probably has sort of more fees and stuff like that. And it, you know, look, those are great products and those are great platforms. So nothing against those platforms, but they are more expensive. And some people might want to do that. Some people might be quite content to stay in plan with a company that they've been working with their entire life. And if I'm an asset manager serving that plan, I now get to keep those, keep managing those assets for a longer time as well. Mm. Lastly, life insurance companies. So life insurance companies, you know, largely not in the game until retirement. And even then maybe now suddenly with an in-plan structure, they can actually start effectively distributing the annuities during the accumulation period, like from when clients are 25, 35, 45 distributing annuities to plan participants. And so when plan participants reach 65, they already have in their pocket like an annuity, right? They don't have to be sold one. They already have one. They can keep it, sell it, add to it. They have a lot of choices, but there's all these benefits, right? To stop there because that can go on forever, but there's all these benefits to sort of, for all of us to lean into in-plan annuities. And I think it's something we should really be focused on. I... You know, my knowledge of this part of the industry, although I think like, oh, I have a pretty good understanding, but listening to you talk, I'm like, oh my goodness, man, I should really, you know, dive in more to this. So what advice would you have? We're going to do kind of a, what would advice would you have for yeah. you know, those carriers? And what advice do you have for our listeners from the individual perspective? Sure. So 
our message to carriers is this is your moment. This is your moment to reclaim your status as a major factor in the 401k business, right? We were there before. We were yeah. supplanted by the asset management industry. This is our time to get back into this industry and take a leadership role in defining what in-plan annuities look like going forward. So, so there's a call to action there. Yeah. For individuals, I would say take a hard look at your target, take a hard look at your 401k and ask yourself, what do I want from this? Like, what are the choices that I want to have? What are the things that I want this to provide me? Do I want the opportunity to stay in, you know, past 65? Am I comfortable where I am? And if you are, I would say send the note to whoever runs your 401k plan and let them know. Right? I think that, you know, a lot of this will be driven by consumers saying, hey, I really would like to see this. If consumers ask for it and plan sponsors ask for it, then all the people that are in the business of providing services to those two parties will, you know, will probably rise to the occasion. So what I would say is I think there's a real opportunity for more people to save, not just through annuities, not just through what they do with annuities, but like more people to save and to save more efficiently and to create income and retirement more efficiently than they currently do. That is the opportunity set. Absolutely. I think people stand, at least from my experience, you have people who, you know, they're paying into a 401k or they're paying into whatever, you know, the retirement is and they set it up and then they just, they're like, you know, I'll deal with that when I get older. You know, that's the millennials here. I'm talking to you guys because we started this, you know, 15 years ago or whatever. And then they just, they don't really follow up with it and they don't, you know, realize the changes or you have the people who are you know, on top of it, you know, the small percentage of people who are always on top of it know exactly where everything stands. And then you have the third group of people who really ride out on the fear, the fear of what's going on in the economy, the fear of what the future, yeah. holds, you know, the fears of all of those things. And so, you know, I would really encourage our listeners, whatever one you fall into, you know, if you're the person who's like, oh, yes, I haven't looked at that, checked on that, or really understand what I'm going to gain from this or understand what this is going to look like when I'm hitting 65 and 67, you know, to really figure that out. And on the flip side of that, if you're the people who are riding out on the fear roller coaster that the media and that everyone just loves to play on, I would just encourage you to not do that and to, you know, truly just understand, you know, what you're saying to understand what you're going to gain and what you're going to value and what you want from your retirement and go from there. So Ramsey, thank you so much. This has been very informative. I very much appreciated it. I've learned more. I feel like I could actually sit down and dissect your brain for maybe 15 hours on the knowledge that you would have on this topic. So I don't know about my listeners, but I'm going to head over to that annuity show and I am going to listen to your podcast and learn more. Thank you so much, Ramsey. It was my pleasure. Thanks for joining us this week on the Benakiva Connects podcast. Make sure to visit our website, www.benakivaconnects.com slash podcast, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, or via RSS so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. If you liked this show, you might want to check out a demo of our software. Simply go to www.benakiva.com and click Request a Demo. 
Be sure to tune in next week for our next episode where we will continue setting the digital foundation for end-to-end claims and servicing transformations.